0: This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. Good morning, church. Good morning. Happy Fourth of July weekend. Glad that you have chosen to come again and just be with your church family and worship God and open the Word of God together so we can uh, uh, get into this book of Galatians that we've been in for the past couple of weeks, and we can continue to grow and learn and be the people that God has called us to be. Man, let me tell you, I was just so blown away yesterday at the parade. My heart was so full seeing so many people show up at the float. We didn't have enough room on the float for all the people, and we had the biggest float in the parade, and uh, that was pretty awesome to see that. Um we had this huge trailer and, and it was packed full of people and then the, either side of the trailer was packed full of people uh, either wearing Word of Grace shirts or their family shirts that we have here or, or wearing some type of patriotic shirt and we were handing out candy and handing out bags to people and people were so blessed. Um, by those bags. I mean, I had so many people tell me, you know, thank you for thinking of this. Thank you for handing out a bag. Thank you. That that means a lot. We forgot a bag at home, you know, for all the candy and all. Some people had candy, you know, tucked in their shirts like this. And then here comes Word of Grace, and and we were handing out those bags. And I said, well, we came up with this idea a couple of years ago uh, when I was actually a, a spectator of the parade, and we were sitting there, and I didn't bring a bag myself. And I said, man, we need a bag. Ding. <laughs> and so, uh, so it was just a great time. So if you were able to come out, thank you. If you are able to come out and sit and just support from the sidelines and watch as well. Thank you if you donated candy, if you helped work on the float. Uh, let me tell you something. This was really cool. Uh, when we saw the float that was actually decorated by the people of Word of Grace, by the kids. Because, you know, uh, there's sometimes where, uh, sometimes I think that we, we, we do things and, uh, and, and sometimes they're a little bit too inclusive, especially when you're in leadership. I think I learned a valuable leadership lesson I just want to share with you before we go into the message today. Um, you know, normally what uh, I would have done in the past... Uh, with the float, is that I would have told Trenton, our graphics guy, who's very good, does a fantastic job, makes all of our beautiful art pieces here at church, and makes all of our logos and things like that, I would have said, hey Trenton, design us something, let's get a couple of banners ordered, let's put it on the float, and we'll be good to go, and two people would have been involved in that whole process, me and Trenton, okay? But instead, we had uh, James Gilliam... Uh, we had Robin, we had a few other people that put all their art skills together, got the children's church involved, put the kids' prints on it. I just began to think, wow, if I would have done this the way that I would have done it in the past, two people would have been involved, been involved but instead we had hundreds involved in the whole process. And it just brings a sense of community and a sense of family. And it's such a warmer thing. It's so much more of a, a, a thing that we can be proud of that we did this together and, and that, you know, God has just done such an amazing work in our church family that people would want to be together and people would want to just link arms and hearts and, and do projects like that, even though I know to some of you parade may not be a big deal. And, and in all of heaven's view, it's probably not that big of a deal. But I think the big deal that did happen is Christian community happened, you know? And, and I think that's a powerful thing. I think that believers getting together, building relationships, building trust, getting to the point to where they can begin to, to care about one another beyond hi, how you doing, where there's legitimate relationship. When we had our baptism last week, church, let me tell you, there were so many people that came that weren't even related or even knew anyone who was being baptized, they just showed up to cheer the people on. And you saw in that video how we had baptized those eight or nine people. I don't remember the number. But we had so many people just cheering and clapping after, oh, man, my heart is as full as your pastor. God is doing special things at Word of Grace. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I just had to get that out of my system, okay? (laughs) Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing in our church family. Thank you for the unity that you have brought to this local body. Thank you, Father, for the sense of family and and belonging and care that you've brought to this local body. I thank you, Lord, that that will only... Take, Father, us to the next level that you have called us to of effectiveness in our journey with you, in our relationship with you, in our walking out of your truth, in our understanding of your truth, so we can truly sharpen one another as iron sharpens iron. Let one man's countenance sharpen another. I pray, Holy Spirit, that our hearts will be open to do whatever you see fit to be done in our hearts today. I thank you that your word will not return unto you void, but it will do that which it has been set out to accomplish. And I pray that today, through the speaking of your word, that hearts and minds minds will be shaken stirred and renewed and pointed more towards you than ever before and you will do something in us and through us that will bring you glory in Jesus name amen let's go ahead and go to the book of Galatians we made it through the first two chapters and now we're going to start off in the third chapter of the book of Galatians and just to give you a heads up that All of the scriptures that are going to be on the screen today are out of the English Standard Version, so if you're following along on the Version app, you can uh, change your translation setting. If you want to follow along in the translation that I'm going to be using, normally when I teach, I... Uh, I teach out of the New King James, but I really like the plain verbiage of the English standard. It just made a lot of sense because there's some verbiage in there that could get confusing. And so I thought this helped clear it up just a little bit without changing Paul's original intent of what was being said. So we're going to be looking at that today if you want to follow along in the ESV and you're wondering, that's not normally what my Bible reads when I follow along with pastor. So that would be why. Galatians chapter 3, the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is The Pathway. To freedom, And I think that it's interesting how people view freedom and what that word means. Because some people think that freedom means I can do whatever I want. Some people think that freedom means I'm just going to go and do whatever I want, with whomever I want, however I want. And if you ask me any questions, then you're just being judgmental. And that's what we think freedom is. It's just exercising whatever whim may float across our mind or our heart's desire for us to exercise that whim. And that's not what true freedom is, because true freedom is Christ setting our heart free to the bondage that sin brings. Let me say that again. True freedom is Christ setting our hearts free from the bondage that sin brings, because sin brings bondage that ultimately leads to death. Amen? It's what the Bible says. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And we know that we have that through Christ Jesus our Lord. But sin will put us in bondage. But Christ sets us free. And when my heart is set free by the power of Christ... He reorients the direction of my heart to now I willingly choose in my freedom to limit myself to the things that would not bring him glory and that would put me back into bondage. Does that make sense? So I have ultimate freedom in Christ. Ultimate freedom, but in my freedom, because my heart has been reoriented or shifted or changed in direction, and now I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I was bought with the precious blood of Jesus that was shed for me on Calvary. Now I am not my own. I am living for Him. My life is but a living sacrifice. Amen? I am not my own, and because of that, I am a bondservant of Christ, as Paul would constantly open up his different epistles to the churches with. I am a bondservant of Christ. I am serving Him. In other words, my heart is His, and I willingly submit myself to Him because I am free when I am with Him. I am in bondage when I am a slave to sin, when that was my master. But now, if I am a new creation in Christ, now my heart Belongs to him. And Paul is trying to help these people understand their freedom and their liberty in Christ. He wants them to get this. This is where Paul really shifts in his teaching because in the first two chapters of Galatians, he spends the bulk of that time defending the message of the gospel and the purity of that message, the fact that it wasn't something Paul came up with after he ate bad pizza or bad Chinese food one night. But it's something that truly was from God. He was also defending his position as an apostle because they were questioning the legitimacy of that since he didn't walk and talk with Jesus as the other 12 did while he was on the earth, but rather he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So the Judaizers, those accusers that had come out throughout the area of Galatia were accusing Paul of not being legit, of having ulterior motives of just trying to uh, uh, fill his pockets with the locals' money by making the message of the gospel too easy to accept by making grace free because the judaizers thought if you if you're going to tell people about a savior if you're going to tell them about the messiah that's fine we can say jesus is the messiah but in order for them to be made right in the eyes of god not only do they have to put their faith in christ But they have to also become a Jew. They need to be circumcised. They need to follow all the observances of the law. They need to hold all the feasts and all the ordinances that we have come to accept in our culture as a way that God approves of us or likes us. And so I am right in the eyes of God because of what I do. That was the message of the Judaizers. And Paul says, Whoa, whoa, whoa. You foolish Galatians. What are you doing? You're missing the point. The gospel is free. It is something that is only received by faith in the finished work Of the cross. That's what's going to set your heart free because you're going to put yourself right back into bondage if you go the Judaizers' route. And that's what Paul was saying. And Paul opens up now, he's shifting gears from defending his apostleship, from defending the message of the gospel, to now Paul is beginning to give them a theological dissertation of the gospel and the freedom that that gospel truly brings. So we just finished celebrating freedom as a nation yesterday, and the book of Galatians is the Magna Carta of Christian liberty. When reading the epistle by Paul, or any book of the Bible for that matter, we hear a word of grace, we understand and we know, we always, 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 look at somebody and say always, we always must read the Bible in proper what? Context we got to read the Bible in context. we got to look at the whole and not just the part. Because if we do that, then we can fall into error by piecing together our our own doctrine to suit whatever we believe. And whatever we want to accept. We can take this verse and take that verse. So to look at the truity of the intent of the author, we need to read it in context. That doesn't mean just grabbing the scripture and grabbing that scripture. What did he really mean? So if we're going to grow as disciples in Christ, we need to look at the Bible in context. I love this quote by one of my uh, favorite speakers. His name is Bob Utley. He says this, too many Christians only let the Bible speak to back up with what they're comfortable with. When I read that, I was like, oh, snap. Isn't that the truth? We only let the Bible speak to back up what we're comfortable with. Because sometimes the Bible speaks to things that make us uncomfortable, doesn't it? And we go, oh, what am I going to do in that moment when I'm wrestling with the definition of truth? Am I going to side with what I've always heard or am I going to side with the word of God? What's the ultimate authority, my feeling toward the subject or the word of God? What's the ultimate authority? What am I going to stand on? Because Jesus gave a parable about a wise man who built his house upon a rock. And then when the storms came, the waves came. That house stood. But then there was a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And when those same waves and storms came, the house could not stand because it didn't have a solid foundation. If we build our lives upon what we feel or think is right or what we justify in our minds, instead of allowing the word of God to be the ultimate authority on all issues, then we are the foolish man building our house on the sand. For us to be that wise man, we build our house upon the rock, the solid word of God. Amen, church? That means that if I think or feel a certain way about something and the Bible says otherwise, I need to change to align my thoughts and my feelings with what God says, even if it makes me uncomfortable even if it's not popular, even if I don't like it, because too many Christians only want the Bible to speak to back up what they're comfortable with. And I am excited to announce that Bob Utley, one of my favorite Bible teachers, is going to be here with us to speak for an entire week in the month of October, and he'll be here. So if you want to listen to him, go check him out. You can go on YouTube. He's got a lot of videos. He's an older guy, so wise, so smart, and I love Bob Utley. Uh, Excited that he's going to be coming in October to be with us. But Paul begins this section here, By asking the question, who has bewitched you? So let's read this. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. He said, you foolish Galatians. He said, said, who has bewitched you? (laughs) It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, now you're going to be perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith, just as Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness? Let's go on to verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, and the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. So we see here that Paul begins this section of his letter uh, by asking the Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, this word bewitched in the Greek refers to what they would call the evil eye or a sorcerer's eye. You know, uh, they were very superstitious in those days and in that culture and still are in some parts about someone who may be born with, a, uh, with, with bulging eyes or someone that was born with a, a, a kind of an odd uh, face that would have the appearance of not looking like what they would consider normal and they would think that person was cursed or they would think there was something wrong with that individual because their eyes bulged out or because they, they had this kind of creepy natural look and they would think this guy's cursed. Someone has done something and they would think that if that person looked upon that they could in turn curse you, and so here, when Paul saying, "Who has bewitched you?" they would have understood that basically what Paul saying is, "Who has looked on you?" with their evil eye and actually cursed you and made you see something that you're, that's not true or that's not real. Who has put a spell on you is what Paul is saying to these guys. And then being in the culture that they were, being Greek people and, and being very superstitious, they would have uh, definitely understood the meaning of that because then Paul immediately shifts in there to saying, then who bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes... Christ also was portrayed among you, crucified. So there he connects the eyes. He's saying, before your eyes, Christ was crucified. And you, in other words, you've seen this before. So who's put a spell on you? Why are you now seeing differently? Because you've seen clearly before. And it made sense to you. And you got excited about it. And you were passionate about it. And you were set on fire for it. But now you've been bewitched. You've been betrayed. and, and, And who has done that to you? Who's given you the evil eye? Who's given you the stank eye? is what Paul was saying. He said, you guys are missing this. But you see, and then he he begins to talk about Abraham later on in this section that we just read there in verse 7, 8, and 9. He begins to talk about Abraham because he knows that the Judaizers are those who were the false teachers who came in to teach Jesus plus the works of the law, Jesus plus becoming a Jew, Jesus plus circumcision is the way that you're made right in the eyes of God. He knows that they were using Abraham to do that. Because the connection to all Jews was Abraham and they were very proud of their heritage that they could trace their family heritage all the way back to Abraham that they could say he was our father he was the one that was called a friend of God he was the one that God made a covenant with he was the one that God made the promise to he was the one that when he was a hundred years old and and, and and his body was useless that somehow God through his miracle working power was able to produce a son through Abraham and his wife Sarah and and they love being able to trace their heritage back to that and so as a sign to say that i I'm a part of this covenant. They would undergo circumcision. All the males would. And that was one of the signs. And then they would also follow all the different teachings of the law. They would follow all the observances of all the law that God gave to Moses. And all these things they carried out. All these traditions and the Judaizers said, if you don't do that, God's not going to love you. God's not going to accept you. You're not going to be right in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter you know, it, whether or not you have Jesus. You have to follow all of these precepts of the law that's what the judaizers taught and paul's going you guys believed in jesus before you guys believed in the gospel before you received it freely by faith not through works who has bewitched you these guys are using abraham are you kidding me they're missing the whole point of abraham because the gospel doesn't bring bondage it brings freedom amen Amen. the gospel brings freedom so paul was basically asking the people of galatia this do you want freedom or do you want bondage? Because you once had freedom, but now you've been tricked or bewitched into subjecting yourself to bondage. So many people teach, preach and believe Christian, that, a Christ, that Christianity is, is nothing but a bondage to works. Some people believe that's all Christianity is. is just be a good person, do nice things to everyone. God's going to love you, uh, you know, uh, walk right, you know, talk, talk this way, act this way. Use soft tones, you know, with one another because this is how Christians speak to one another. And if you do that, then you're a Christian. And if I have certain bumper stickers on my cards or I have a Bible with my name imprinted on it, then all of a sudden, this is the kind of stuff that people believe. They think that because I've done all these things, because I went to church as a kid, because I was baptized as a kid, because this happened in my life or that happened in my life, they accredit that to being right in the eyes of God. And they're putting themselves under bondage because the only thing that can make us right in the eyes of God is Jesus. Amen? Amen. That's it. Faith in Christ. But so many people believe that. That's why perfectionists are the hardest people to teach assurance of their salvation to. People who have a perfectionist type personality are some of the most difficult people because they think they've got to earn it. They think if I've got to do this, then my life is not complete. That God's not going to love me or accept me unless I do this or I'm somehow climbing the ladder of favor in his eyes in Christianity by doing A, B, and C and now God's going to like me more than the rest and God's going to accept me more than the rest and I'm getting gold stars by my name and I'm more valuable than someone else and then I begin to get judgmental and comparative where I begin to look at other Christians and compare myself to them so when I may fail or fall or have weaknesses in my life I go, well, at least my weaknesses aren't like so-and-so's And I think that somehow I've justified myself in my own eyes by my works. It's the same junk that the Judaizers were doing in their day. It's the same junk that the Pharisees were doing in Jesus' day. It's the same stuff that people are still doing to this day. So there are still people that are being bewitched to follow another gospel that's really not gospel because it brings bondage. Friend, let me tell you something. When you come into true relationship with Jesus Christ, you can rest In the fact that knowing that Jesus paid it all. Amen? Amen. Amen. You can rest in the fact that Jesus paid it all. Have you ever been on vacation when somebody else paid for it? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, maybe you've been the one who paid for the vacation (laughs) for your kids or grandkids. I have been on vacation before where it was paid for, I've been blessed enough to have that experience. My meals were taken care of. My lodging was taken care of. My entertainment was taken care of. And you know what I did? I just chilled out. I could relax and rest. And you know what my response to the one who did that to me was? Thank you. I couldn't say thank you enough because I was so overwhelmed with their act of generosity for taking me on vacation. I was so overwhelmed by that act that I I, I felt awkward because I was just saying it so much. And I didn't know if I was saying it enough or too much. Am I being annoying by saying thank you so much? And that's a response to a week of food and lodging and entertainment. How much more should my response to God be, Thank you, God, for saving my eternity, for rescuing me from an eternity separated from you, for not only securing my eternity through my faith in Christ, but through giving me a little taste of heaven on earth while I'm still here so my life can bring you glory, so other people can see what you've done in my heart and my life, so my life can be a testimony to other people of your goodness and your grace and the freedom that I have in Christ. When I experience something that someone else has done for me, my response is thank you, and I just rest in that. And folks, when we truly meet Jesus... When He truly grabs a hold of our heart, we should be able to rest and respond. Any good works that I do, anything that I do is not to earn love or favor in His eyes. It's a response. It's a thank you. Amen? It's a, it's a what else can I do for you? What, how can I give my life to you? How, how can I serve you? It's not a if you don't serve me, I'm not going to love you. No, it's a I want to serve you and I get to serve you. That's the beauty of the gospel that brings freedom. But Paul said, did you receive the Spirit in order just to go back into bondage? Did did you receive the Spirit of God by faith and then all of a sudden you're going to perfect it through your works? Is that what you're going to do now? Paul's asking a rhetorical question. And he's saying, what are you doing? Who has bewitched you? He said, the whole point of Abraham was not this. The Judaizers were more than likely teaching Abraham as a connection point for salvation because of that trace back to Abraham that the Jewish people had. Abraham was called a friend of God. God made covenant with Abraham and the people of Israel thought it was all about them and they thought that the goal was to become a Jew because that meant you were connected to Abraham, which meant you were connected to the covenant, which meant you were connected to God. This is why Paul is using Abraham as a reference to drive the gospel message home. And to show the people the true meaning of having that relationship with God. He said, just as Abraham believed, verse 6, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And therefore, those who are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. Those who are of the faith are the sons of Abraham. In other words, what Paul is saying here is that it doesn't have anything with your her- to do with your heritage. It doesn't have anything to do with whether the fact that you're a Gentile or you're a Greek person. Or whether you were born in a Jewish home. It doesn't matter what observances you grew up observing. It doesn't matter what has happened. That's why you even remember last week, Paul said that when we, in chapter 2, he said when Titus stood before the Jewish council of people, he was a Greek guy. You remember Titus? He was a Greek. And he stood before the Jewish council with Paul. He said he wasn't nervous. He didn't all of a sudden feel like, let me go to the quickest uh, uh, 24-hour care and get circumcised. (laughs) He didn't feel that pressure. He said, not even for an hour. He said, we stayed there. I didn't feel any pressure at all. Because he understood his freedom that he had in Christ. And the thing that made him right was not whether he was circumcised like a Jewish man or not. The thing that made him right was faith in Christ. Because the gospel brings freedom. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Let's look at Galatians 3 and verse 7. Let's keep on reading here. Galatians 3 and verse 7 says, know then that those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, or the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, which would be most of us. says, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on the works of the law, guess what? They're under a curse. For it is written, Curse be every one who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Huh. Now it's evident that no one's justified before God by the law. So in other words, even if you could keep all the things in the book of the law, you still wouldn't be justified. He said the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13 Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, "Curses is everyone who hang on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Amen? He said, listen, he said, This wasn't about you becoming a Jew. He said, this was about Abraham receiving the promise by faith. He had to connect with God by faith because this joker was 100 years old. Okay? We're not having no more babies, all right, at 100. But God saw fit to do a miracle in that man's body and in his wife's body to bring about this child to where they lived their whole lives barren. And then God did a miracle, and God gave a promise to him through his son, through his seed. He said, listen, he said, this is just the beginning because faith is what's ultimately going to solve this problem of sin. Faith is what is ultimately going to solve this problem of us being disconnected from God, not our works. He said, it's going to be faith in what my son is going to come through this lineage, through this heritage, to be able to do for all of us what no man could do. Because he said, listen, you can't fulfill the law. He said, you can try. He said... And if you're looking to be justified through it, he said, the end result is death. He said, you can't do it because we're all going to fall short. We're all going to fall short of that standard of who God is because that's his perfection. And if we could be justified by our works, he said, "then, then we would have to keep everything in the law to perfection and we can't do it. He said, that's why it comes by faith. That's why Abraham was the father of faith because Abraham trusted God when it seemed impossible. Because the pathway to freedom is faith in Christ plus nothing. Oh, let me say that again. I know it's on screen, and I know you can read, but I'm going to say it again. The pathway to freedom is faith in Christ plus nothing. That's how we're made right in the eyes of God, through the sacrifice of Jesus. Amen? Amen. And then you remember what I said when I opened up my sermon, that freedom to people means different things. To some people, freedom means I'm going to do whatever I want and... Who cares? Because I'm free. Friend, that's not freedom. You're putting yourself into bondage if you're going to follow all of your fleshly desires. Oh, well, let me say that again. You're going to put yourself into bondage if you follow all your fleshly desires. Amen. Because we're growing. We're growing in being able to reflect God's glory as He works on our heart, as He reorients our heart, as He, as he renews our mind through His Word and through His Spirit. But the pathway to freedom is faith in Christ plus nothing, which means I am free in Christ. But then I say, I'm yours. How can I live for you? You're changing my desires. You're changing the direction of my heart because my heart used to be very inward focused. It used to be all about me. But the more I grow in Christ, the more I realize it's not about me. It's about him. And the more my life becomes a testimony to the goodness and the glory of God and not the goodness and glory of me. Because it's not about how good I can be. It's about how good Jesus was. And now how can I let the world see Him at work through me? It becomes all about Him. I become that reflection point to the world of the goodness and the glory of God. The first step to receive salvation though, I want you to understand this. The first step to receiving salvation and being made right in the eyes of God is recognizing the ugliness of our sin. Is seeing... The bad news for what it is. Some people don't want to talk about the bad news. They want to talk about all the good news. They want to talk about the goodness of God, the love of God. And we want to talk about that, absolutely. And it's true, and it's right. But so many people are afraid to talk about our sin. And all they want to talk about is the love of God. Friend, let me tell you something. The goodness of God and the good news of the gospel can't be good news until the bad news is really bad. Amen. Amen. It, it, It can't be. It can't be. We have to understand the fact that in our depravity that we're disconnected from God and there's no hope for us except for the man Jesus Christ. That there's nothing we can do on our own. And when I understand the weight of that message, and and God wants me to understand the weight of that message, that's why He gave us the law. It was a schoolmaster. It was a teacher. It was showing us our failure. It was showing us the price and the weight of our sin so that when Jesus was beaten, when He was mocked, when He was humiliated, when He drug the cross up the hill, when He was then nailed to the cross and put on display for all the world to see, that we would see... Our sin and the result of it. So it would break our heart. So it would break us. And and, and let us see how we are as rebellious. as, As haters of God. As people who would exalt our own knowledge above Him. As people who would mock God. As people who would want to live life contrary to Him. And do whatever we wanted. We begin to see that and it breaks us. Because we see the love of God sweep in and destroy that curse and destroy that sin and destroy that shame and destroy that guilt. And I go, oh my gosh. I see how bad that my sin is and I see how good that God is. Amen, somebody? You know, if you think about a really good movie, that's normally how the movies that end in a good way go. The bad parts get really bad and then they get worse and you're like, how in the world are they going to get out of this? They have no hope. And then all of a sudden, here comes Indiana Jones. He swings in and he, and he gets away from the Germans and he goes and he, and, 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 and he runs away and gets in the plane and he gets away with the artifact and he saves the day or whoever you see all these superhero movies coming out. And, and, and you see these, the, the Avengers or all these groups of superheroes. The situation gets worse and worse and worse. And then when the victory is brought, you're, you celebrate. You're like, so that's fantastic. That would be a really lame movie if the good guys just came in, saw someone jaywalking one day, walked over, wrote them a ticket, scolded them really good and said, you shouldn't do that. The end. That's not a very good movie. That wasn't a very... Nothing really bad happened. That was actually the dumbest movie I've ever seen. (laughs) What makes the superheroes so awesome is because there is a huge problem to solve. And when they solve it or when they win the victory, then we celebrate. We get excited about that. Why? Because something on the inside of us connects with overcoming that insurmountable odds because you and I need to recognize... The insurmountable odds are stacked against us in our own way to make ourselves right in the eyes of God. Because of our sin. And we did it. It was our fault. Okay? We're the ones who rejected God. We're the one who rejected His love and mercy in the garden. It, it, was, it was us as mankind. Yeah, I know that they had names, Adam and Eve, but it would have been somebody. Because of our selfishness. And God is saying, no, I'm wanting to save you. I'm wanting to show you my great love and mercy so my name will be known throughout the world. So my name will be praised. So I will get the glory. Because you can't get the glory because you can't save yourself. And when we understand the weight of that sin and when the law shows us the weight of our sin and breaks our hearts and then all of a sudden the gospel becomes so good. It becomes so free. It becomes all about what Jesus did and I just get to rest and what Jesus did is he's working in me and through me. And so the pathway to salvation is repentance. It's repenting and saying, God, I, I, I can't save myself. God, forgive me. God, I, I see that I'm not right. I see that I have broken your commands. I see that I have tried to live in my own brand of righteousness and live for myself. God, I can't do that any longer. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of trying to make this all about me and how good I can be. God, let your goodness shine through my life. I give my life to you. I repent before you. That's the pathway to freedom, folks. Amen? Amen. Is repentance. It's repentance. But for us to realize that good news is good, that bad news has to be bad. And that's why God gave us the law there, to help us to see our sin. The whole act of crucifixion shows us our sin. The standard of the law shows us our sin. To make the cross wonderful to me. That my sin has to be bad. And the good news is then becomes so good. Let's read Galatians uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. Let's see what Paul says about this to the Galatians. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law which came 430 years afterwards, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. So why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Next verse. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under the guardian. Next verse. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through what? Faith. Through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring and your heirs according to the promise. That just reiterates everything that I just shared with you through this entire message. What Paul was talking about with the law and the purpose of the law and what he's talking about with salvation only coming through faith because the love of God Becomes sweet after I recognize my need because of my inability to save myself. Paul said we can't save ourselves by the law and repentance is still required for salvation. Amen somebody? Amen. need more churches teaching and preaching that repentance is still needed for salvation. Amen? Amen. Jesus, Jesus said he's He said that that, that narrow is the way and there are few that find it. He said wide is the road that leads to destruction. There's going to be many that find it. There's going to be a lot of people that think on that day when they stand before the judgment seat of God, when, when, when they think that, hey, look at what all I did. I did this and I did that. And he's going to say, I don't know who you are. Depart from me. A lot of people who did a lot of nice things, a lot of people who did a lot of good things, they may have even done it in the name of God. But he wants to know, have you put your faith in Christ and repented? Have you put your faith and your hope completely around? Not what you've done, not what you can do or ever do, but what Christ did for you. You see, if I put my faith and my hope in that, he's going to know my name. Amen. Because I belong to him. Because it's that faith, not in my works. Lest I could boast, but it's my faith in the grace of God, in the free gift of salvation. Folks, that makes the grace of God so beautiful and so freeing. And it enables me to just rest in who He is and who I am in Him. Because it's not just about knowing who I am, it's about knowing whose I am. And I am bought with a price and I belong to God because of what Jesus did for me. And that helps me to rest. Knowing that my salvation is not contingent upon my performance. But my salvation is contingent upon my faith in Christ. Amen. And what Jesus did. in the finished work. And I know that you know this. A lot of you are just going, yeah, we know this pastor. We hear you talk about this. We've heard this all of our lives. Yeah, but the Galatians heard it too. And they saw it clearly. And then somebody came along and bewitched them. You understand what I'm saying this morning? Somebody came along and bewitched them and got them to think it was all of this stuff plus all of this other stuff plus all this other stuff. And Paul said, no, let me me help get you back on track. You foolish Galatians. He said, why would you who have received the Spirit so freely now put yourself back into bondage because of the message of these Judaizers? Why would you do this? I believe that there are still Judaizers in our world today. And the reason I think there are still Judaizers is because man is still wrestling with pride and self. And as long as man wrestles with pride and self, the message of the Judaizers is always going to be tempting to the Christian because we're always going to want to put ourselves in classes of Christianity, especially here in America where we're a highly competitive nation. We come out of the womb competing. We're like, we're like shoot, I'm going to eat that bottle faster than you. I mean, that's just how we roll. You know, My dad can change my diaper faster than your dad. You know. <laughs> And he can get it right. I mean, we're just competitive out of the womb in this country. And that's lent to a lot of our strengths. And that's a good thing. But the flip side of that competitive nature of our country is that the American church and American Christians can become competitive with their faith. Where all of a sudden we begin to think that I'm a better Christian because I've outpaced this person. Because I've outworked this person. I've outgiven this person. I've outfaithed them. I outprayed them. We would never say that. But God sees our heart. He sees what I can't see. He sees what you can't see. He sees the pride in those things in me. And so there's always the temptation out there for the Judaizers' message to penetrate the heart of Christians in America all over the world, but especially here in our country because of our culture. And that message would want to penetrate our hearts, so we would go, I'm better than you. <laughs> because that's how we... Look at our jobs, how we look at our cars, our houses, how much money we make, and we take the same approach to our faith. And Paul's saying, no, no, who has bewitched you? You need to repent. You need to repent because that's not what this is about. It's not about you trying to outpace or outclass somebody because there is no class. It's not these Judaizers all of a sudden have the right message and the right path to salvation. He said, don't you know that there's no male nor female? There's no Jew nor Greek. He said, don't you know that in Christ we're all one? That would really, really hack a Jewish person off in that day to hear that. (laughs) Oh, no, no. That's nice and all that you say that, but I'm a Jew. I mean, come on. Seriously now, Paul. And Paul's like, no, seriously. Who's bewitched you? Who's gotten you to think it's jesus christ plus something else who's gotten you to think that all of a sudden that that god favors you or loves you more than someone else who are you to think that because then you're making the gospel about you you're having a tendency to make it all about you and not about him because the more i grow in my walk with god the more i grow in my walk with christ the more i should begin to treat other people as christ treated them the more i should begin to love people as christ loved the more that I should begin to forgive people and walk with them hand in hand as Christ did, the more I should be able to speak truth into people's lives, the more that I should be able to build that uh, bond of trust with other people and care about people. Because we see what Jesus did here on the earth. He was always interested in what? His Father's kingdom, amen? So the closer I get to Him, the more I should be interested in my Father's kingdom. And my life should reflect that. And the more that I get close to Him and the more that I begin to allow him to work in my heart and the more that his love and his grace reflects out of my life the less of me you see the less of me you see and the more you go there's something about what you have and it all of a sudden doesn't become I want to be like you it's what do you have there's something in you there's something I see in you and you can say it's Jesus at work in me Amen. Amen. not me at work in me Well, let me tell you, I practice the art of discipline and and I have able to master this and master that. No, 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 no. It's not about you. It's about him. Amen. That's real freedom. It's real freedom. Let's look at Galatians chapter 4 and let's read these first few verses before we close because they tie in. Because, you know, there's no chapter divisions when Paul was writing. So there's no verses when Paul was writing. He was just writing a letter. so. It just flows from one thought right into the other. So Galatians 4 flows right out of Galatians 3 and 29 where it says, If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, and you're heirs according to the promise. He said, You're Abraham's offspring if you're in Christ. In other words, you are an heir to that promise of the Spirit. So he begins to go in Galatians 4 and verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, he's no different than a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers Until the date set by his father. Paul's still talking about the law here. Remember how he said the law was a guardian? That's what he's still referring to here. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir through God. Oh, friend, let me tell you, that is an awesome word right there. That makes me want to kick stuff and just, just run around and do backflips, Blues brother style. That is awesome. That is the weight of salvation. That is the freedom that Christ brings. Because if you are in Christ, you are free. End of story. If you're in Christ, you are free. We're heirs to salvation. It's it's our inheritance. And in eternity, in communion with God is our inheritance. And knowing whose I am and that I am free changes the way I live here on earth because now His Spirit dwells in me where I don't walk according to my selfish desires, where I don't walk according as to times past and the way that I lived prior to knowing Him because He's reoriented my heart and that freedom has changed the direction of my life because now I'm in communion with God. You see, when I was dead in my sin, I did what I wanted with little or no remorse. But being united with God in spirit by faith, now it changes me to live contrary to the way that I used to, not because of the law, but because of Christ in me. And I live now confident knowing I'm at peace with God. Even in my struggles, I still strive to please Him and Him alone because I'm in Christ and He's in me. And that's real freedom. Amen? Amen. That's real freedom. Knowing who I belong to. Knowing that He loves me. Knowing that the weight of what He did for me. Man, that is real freedom. If you're in Christ, you're free. Would you bow your head this morning? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com.